Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Windsor Road. It's great to see so many of you, so many of you here this morning, and including those whom I can't see who are joining us online. Um, for the observant ones, you might have seen me limping up the stage. Uh, that's because uh, throughout the week I've been struggling with bursitis. Uh, my left heel and it flared up on Friday so it was a sight to behold crawling on my hands and knees to the toilet on uh, three occasions as I woke up through the night having to pee Um, and then on Saturday morning I crawled uh, to the kitchen to the shock of Sue Um, but anyways it's not entirely fixed but the pain is well managed and I've been uh, prescribe some anti-inflammatory tablets. We'll see what happens. Uh, For those of you who are knowledge in the medical field, you will know that one of the causes of bursitis is uh, excessive consumption of alcohol. Uh, I'm here to tell you that's not the reason uh, why I've had bursitis. Um, I'm actually allergic to alcohol. Um, So anyways... um, For those of you who don't know, uh, we uh, are in the middle. Well, we've just started. We're not even in the middle yet. We've just commenced our series uh, based on the gospel according to the book of Luke, uh, to Luke. Uh, A series that we actually started last year. We covered chapters 1 to 12. And uh, this year we will uh, finish the rest of the gospel of Luke from uh, chapter 13 to 24. Uh, Before I start, I like to pray, and I'd like to, to ask you to posture your heart uh, as we pray. Posture your heart as little children. Uh, Jesus says, unless we become like little children, unless we humble ourselves like little children, uh, we cannot uh, enter into the kingdom of God. We need to be childlike when we come before the Lord. Now I've been reading uh, the book of Leviticus for the past three weeks or so. And one of the refrains in the the book of Leviticus is this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, quote, speak to the people of Israel and say. So in that one verse, you have spoke, speak, say. So when we come together, uh, one of the things, one of the critical things that we are to uh, anticipate and expect is for God to speak to us as a community and as individuals. Yeah. So I'd like you to posture your heart uh, to receive what God has to say to us. So why don't we do that? Let's pray. Lord, my notes, they're just words. As I utter them, they are just words. As we hear them, they're just words. But they need not be words. And so we ask that you anoint the words that proceed from my mouth. Anoint them so that they're words from you. Men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So let your voice come through uh, my humble voice. Uh, let us hear what you have to say to us. Prepare our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts to receive what you have to say. Help us, Lord, tune out 
distractions from the week, distractions even from today, and the distractions as we think about going into next week. Help us tune all of that out and just hone in on what you want to say to us. And grant us willing hearts to put into application anything that you would challenge us about, that you would encourage us about this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a collection of uh, classified ads in uh, daily newspapers, which will leave you bemused. Um, They're, of course, unintended, uh, but mistakes nonetheless, uh, with with, with, uh, meanings and that will leave you uh, yeah, laughing on the inside. So the first one, wanted, man to care for a cow that does not smoke or drink. Next one, try us once and you'll never go anywhere else again. Dogs for sale, eats anything and is fond of children. Illiterate, write today for free help. <laughs> Stock up and save, limit one. Men men wanted to work in dynamite factory, must be willing to travel. For sale, antique desk suitable for lady with thick legs and large drawers. We do not tear your clothing with machinery, we do it carefully by hand. The last one, used cars. Why go elsewhere to be cheated? Come here first. Jesus often spoke about the kingdom of God and by extension, the church. Mark refers to the term 14 times, whereas Luke uses it on 32 occasions. Matthew, on the other hand, prefers the term kingdom of heaven. He uses that term 31 times. In contrast, he uses the term kingdom of God only four times, but they have the same meaning. Jesus' metaphors to illustrate and describe what the kingdom of God is like would have left the hearers puzzled, left them bemused. In a similar way, the classified ads have had on us. This morning, we're going to look at a couple of Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God as we continue our sermon series. Just before we do, a quick blurb about the kingdom of God. It is not a physical place on earth that you can find on a map and go to for your next prayer retreat. The kingdom of God, in simple terms, refers to the domain over which God reigns, beginning with his people and through his people. Wherever he reigns, that's where the kingdom of God is. Jeremy Treat explains, I quote, the kingdom is first and foremost a statement about God. God is king, and he's coming as king to set right what our sin made wrong. But in a world marred by sin, God's kingship, is resisted, and the peace of his kingdom has been shattered. After Adam and Eve's rebellion, God's reign is revealed as redemptive. He's the king who's reclaiming his creation. 
His kingdom is not the culmination of human potential and effort, but the intervention of his royal grace into a sinful and broken world. Let's turn to Luke chapter 13, verses 18 to 21. It's up on the slide. He said, therefore, and keep in mind, take, take note of the word therefore. What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and, grew, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven or yeast that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, lots of flour, until it was all leavened. Say what? Exactly, right? Jesus compares the kingdom of God to, number one, a tiny mustard seed, which is how Matthew's gospel described the mustard, the mustard seeds. A tiny mustard seed, the tiniest of seeds planted in the soil. And the kingdom of God, number two, is a small, insignificant portion of leaven mixed into pounds of flour. But each of them, though it's insignificant and small, produces an incredible impact that's beyond its appearance. The two short parables essentially make the same point, that the subversive revolutionary movement called the kingdom of God, that Jesus is starting, will start from tiny beginnings, but it will grow over time. Its influence, its impact will grow over time, and it will be far-reaching. The crowd, I'm sure, would have been confused, and some would have been offended that Jesus would describe God's kingdom this way. That's because most Jews believe that when the kingdom of God breaks in, when the Messiah comes, he will come with supernatural pyroth techniques. He will defeat and evict the Romans and the rest of Israel's enemies from the land. He will make the nation of Israel great again. Not so according to Jesus. The kingdom of God will eventually spread throughout the earth. It will ultimately overcome the devil and his minions when Jesus returns as reigning king. But not yet and not now. And most certainly not in the way that most Jews had envisaged at the time. In fact, it will appear unassuming, small and insignificant. But in reality, it is immensely subversive and powerful. In fact, uh, it might not look much, the mustard seed and the little beast, a bit of yeast, but appearances can be achieve, uh, deceiving the kingdom of God. The littlest of all seeds will grow until the birds of the air come and find shelter in its branches. And there Jesus is quoting from Ezekiel chapter 17, a prophecy from Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 32, in which God promised, on the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and becomes a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Now in the Old Testament, the picture of birds in a tree is consistently 
a picture or an image of calm and shelter. Think about it. Where was Jesus born? In the same place where animals were kept, kept in for the night, not in a royal place. In Bethlehem, a little town virtually unnoticed by the rest of the world, located in a little insignificant province in the middle of nowhere on the eastern side of the Mediterranean, not in Rome, the exquisite crown jewel of the powerful, expensive Roman Empire. Here we have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe, born in the most obscure places, in the most unlikely of circumstances, in the humblest places of all. And 2,000 years later, what are we witnessing? We're witnessing a remarkable story of a growing, spreading, and diversifying church with an amazing harvest of new believers continuing across Africa, Asia, and Latin America. And this totally dispels the notion, does it not, that Christianity is a European white man's religion. Not at all. Christianity is a, has become a global movement with Christians living and worshiping in every country of the earth. And it began with Jesus and 120 followers. That's a remarkable story. I recently read about the stunning transformation that God brought to the native groups in the Peruvian Amazon through the labor of some ordinary and unassuming missionaries. All the native groups' contacts were with outsiders were marked by violence. They've only known Christ for one generation, but in that time, they were more tender than ever with their wives. They were more tender than ever with their children. But to think that one, just one generation ago, these men were fearful, aggressive, and animistic people. A non-believing anthropologist recently visited a tribe in that area and started criticizing the missionaries. He said, to the tribal people. Christianity is for the white men. You should go back to your old religion and to your old ways. And one of the tribal church leaders looked at the anthropologist for a moment and said, yes, and if we did, you'd be the first one in the pot. <laughs> of course, they have problems like Christians anywhere else but you can clearly see a before and after impact. But what does the rule of the kingdom of God look like that starts small, but yet subversive, powerful, and influential over time? You see the end product right there. But what does it take to get there? To find out, we're going to go back to verses 10 to 17. See, Jesus' parables of the mustard and leaven do not take place in a separate scene. Instead, there are additional comments by Jesus after the event in verses 10 to 17. Let's read that, starting verse 10. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. 
She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from this disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on a Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this crippling condition on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, all after he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the other people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Let's unpack that story we just read. Now, Jesus teaching in the synagogue, synagogue on the Sabbath for the last time in, the Luke's, in Luke's gospel, he sees a woman there. Now, even though it's a a physical problem, according to Luke, the root cause is a spiritual one. The woman has been crippled, Luke says, by an evil spirit, even though Jesus does not address the spirit as in an exorcism. And this view is supported by verse 16, in which her condition is attributed to Satan. Now, this is not to say, and let me be clear, this is not to say that all physical problems have spiritual roots, but evidently some do, yeah? Now, when it comes to the matter of evil spirits and the unseen world and spiritual warfare, etc., we will be wise to avoid two extremes that we can go to. Number one, be preoccupied with their presence, or number two, reject their presence altogether. So avoid those two extremes. And then we have Luke describing her length of condition as being 18 years. And he mentions that because he wants us to get a sense of the extent and the depth of her suffering and despair. 18 years, she's just imagined for 18 years in that unnatural position for 18 years. And she would have prayed to Yahweh over those 18 years, crying out to God, heal me, heal me, heal me. What have I done to deserve this? And all those existential issues that you wrestle with when you pray to God and God doesn't heal you for 18 years. That she's a woman afflicted this way makes her an outsider as well. People would have looked at her and, and looked at her with scorn and looked at her with complete disrespect and, and, and rejection. 
And she's like another woman we looked at uh, last year in Luke 18, who was hemorrhaging for 12 years. Jesus, in compassion, spontaneously calls her up to him in the synagogue, at the center of the synagogue where he's teaching. And that's a faux pas. That's a faux pas. By doing this deliberately, Jesus was challenging the notion that women do not matter when it comes to worship. He puts her right in the center. And then he speaks to her. And that's another no-no in the culture. And then he touches her, a woman, and a bearer of an unclean spirit. He touches her. Wow. His disciples are probably cringing here and going, oh, Jesus, protocol, 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 man. Why do you keep doing this? Jesus heals the woman instantly. With a back straightened, she spontaneously bursts into praise and thanksgiving to God. And the crowd would have joined in, except for one synagogue ruler, one synagogue leader, and others like him. So he tells the crowd, no can do. I know what you guys are thinking. All of you who are sick, all of you who are needs, you're thinking of coming to Jesus on Sabbath, but I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is God only heals for six days. That's the bad news. The good news is you can come and be prayed for tomorrow, but not today. Let that settle in your heart a bit. God only heals six days, but not today. Today is not the day you will be healed. And Jesus is furious. And he gives the synagogue ruler and others like him a real taking off. You have no problems whatsoever showing compassion to your animals. You have no issues showing compassion to your animals on the Sabbath. But you have a Problem with me showing compassion to this woman, a human being, a daughter of Abraham, a daughter of promise, who's been suffering for 18 years on the Sabbath. Did I hear that right? Did I hear that right? That you're having issues with me showing compassion to a human being that you have no qualms showing compassion to with animals. You have taken hypocrisy to another level. My God. And the reaction of the crowd is instantaneous. The leader of the synagogue and others like him stand humiliated while others were delighted with Jesus. So let me put to you what, what the rule of the kingdom looked like, and by extension of the church, that Jesus described, that starts small but subversive, powerful, and over time. 
Let me suggest three qualities. The first quality is it takes on, the first quality that the rule of the kingdom of God takes on is that its citizens are known for their growing trust and reliance on Jesus to do his work in and through them. See, Jesus said in John chapter 20, 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you. All of us, all of us, without exception, have been sent by Jesus to continue the work that he has started. But we don't do this on our own, and we don't do this in our strength. He's with us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But still, this is great in theory, isn't it? This is great in theory. Yes, God used me. God speak through me. God work in my heart and work through me. It's great in theory until we meet someone like the woman crippled for 18 years. Just put yourself in that situation. You're confronted with a woman who has been suffering in this particular condition for 18 years. What are you most likely to do? What, you, what do you think your response is likely to be? I know what mine would be. I'd be freezing in unbelief. Oh, God, 18 years. God bless you. All right? It would be understandable to freeze. But God wants to use the story to shake us out of our unbelief and to remind us that what he did for the woman back there, he's still in the business of doing in 2023. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or do you think, ah, nah. He doesn't perform miracles like that anymore. What God is wanting to say to us, that he's still in the business of setting people free. In miraculous ways. Do you believe that? Whether one is bent over physically, whether one is bent over psychologically, whether one is bent spiritually because of illness, because of childhood trauma, because of toxic and traumatic experiences, because of bad choices we have made or bad choices others have made on our behalf. It doesn't matter how long you have been suffering in whatever condition you're suffering. Jesus wants to say to us that he can still bring freedom. He can still bring healing. He can still transform. But the change may be big, whether the change is big or small. The change may come suddenly. The change may come over time. But Jesus wants to say to us, it will come. Ultimately, it will come when we die and be with him. But in this life, it will come. However, I need to add a clause. However, be very prepared. That the change that God wants to bring, the miracle that he wants to bring, may come very differently from what you expect. And it's not because you haven't prayed enough. It's not because you lack faith, etc., etc., etc. It could simply be because God has chosen another path, 
a better path for you or the person you're praying for, the person you're trying to help. When this happens, God is asking you and I to trust him. I once heard a speaker say, when we pray, we are trusting God, right? When we pray, we're trusting God with whatever it is that we're committing to him in prayer. But when he doesn't answer in the way we wish or expect, he's trusting us to trust him with it. When we pray, we're trusting God. When God doesn't answer, he's trusting us. Keep faith in me that I know what I'm doing. It's not because of your lack of faith. It's not because I don't care. It's not because you are lesser in my eyes. It's because I have another path for you. The second quality the rule of the kingdom of God takes on is that its citizens are known for their integrity rather than, than their hypocrisy. Let me quote from Carl Vaters, a pastor and advocate of small churches. I subscribe to his newsletter. He's a very wise, passionate man, but very wise. He writes, quote, For multiple generations, many church behaved as though the greatest way we could reach the community around us was to conduct compelling events. No more. He goes on to say that non-church goers have better options elsewhere. He continues, quote, No one who is staying away from the church is waiting for us to put on a better event. What are they looking to the church for? If they think about us at all, which is increasingly unlikely, they want us to have some integrity, to live what we say we believe. The late evangelist Billy Graham, who has been ranked among the top 10 most admired men in the Gallup's list of most admired men, 61 times and a record, by the way, once said, integrity is the glue that holds our way of life together. We must constantly strive to keep our integrity intact. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when character is lost, all is lost. So if we want to be a church that's small but influential and powerful, and impacting, then we must be a people of integrity, first and foremost. The third quality, the rule of the kingdom of God takes on, is this. The citizens, its citizens are known for their compassion. Its citizens are known for their compassion. The major issue in the story we just heard over the healing of the woman is not so much a debate over Sabbath activity, but what stands behind it. Jesus' message and emphasizes that one way his followers display the holiness of God is through their compassion. You see, it was Jesus' compassion, not only the miracle, that caused the crowd to rejoice. 
It was the miracle. Many times we read that we think it was just the miracle. No, no, no. What they were absolutely thrilled by was the contrast between the compassion of Jesus that they could see very clearly and the lack of compassion displayed by the ruler of the synagogue. You see that? Complete lack of compassion. The hardness of heart. This is Joseph, uh, my ex-colleague, whom I work with when Sue and I served with Youth of the Mission in Singapore from 1998 to 2001. He's currently the national director of YWAM in Singapore. As a faith-based organization that we've hit very hard financially by COVID in 2020, a major source of the income dried up overnight. To make matters worse, they were in the middle of a building project that began the previous year. They had enough funds to go for another three months, to operate for another three months, and then they know what the future would hold. He continues the story, I quote, while we were counting how much money we had left, a group of 30 prostitutes and pimps came knocking on the doors of Youth of the Mission and asked if we could help them. <laughs> I had no problems with the prostitutes, but the pimps. <laughs> what would I do? So YWAM, Singapore is located in the red light district area. I remember when I was there, I would, you know, on my way to the office, I would walk past these brothels. And we pray for the area regularly, asking God for wisdom on how we could reach uh, the area, reach individuals with the gospel. Now, under Joe's leadership, they had made significant inroads. They would invite the prostitutes for meals, to the community for meals and other events uh, to build relationship and to build trust with them. But this is the first time they came to youth with a mission. It turns out that all the brothels in the area had to close down because of COVID. Brothel owners, not having any business coming in, threw all of the prostitutes out, threw all of the pins out. So not only were they jobless, they were now homeless. They needed shelter and money for food so that they can look for other employment. The whole project was going to cost in excess of $60,000. If they helped, that is what they had to commit themselves to, money that they, they could ill afford to spare. They turned to the Lord in prayer, and they felt the Lord say to them, if you look after the poor, I will look after you. If you look after the poor, I will look after you. He said later, quote, I was very scared. If we were to commit to this, what if, what if? Was there any guarantee? The only guarantee we had was the faithfulness and the goodness of God to Youth of Mission Singapore over the past 40 years. So they stepped out in faith and obedience to the Lord. Miraculously, the Lord provided the money for the project. One of the individuals who needed help was a pimp. 
compassion for pimp. I want him to stay out, honestly. You can live in the streets. We'll take care of the prostitutes. But you deserve to be homeless. Well, instead of renting a place for him, Joe invited him to live in the community with the rest of the staff. And there he experienced love, a sense of belonging, a sense of acceptance. And over time, God's spirit began to work in his heart and change him from the inside out. Eventually, he gave his life to the Lord. He gave his life to the Lord. And today, he's a missionary with Youth of the Mission in Singapore. Change and transformation for a pimp. That's the first challenge. Can you believe God to do that? And secondly, compassion for a pimp, whose job it is to find customers for prostitutes he oversees. And, you know, you hear stories of pimps beating up those under their charge. Compassion for a pimp. COVID also impacted many Malaysians from across the border who worked in Singapore. If you're familiar with the geography of Singapore in the north, directly north, is the southern state, the most southern state called Johor Bahru. Many Malaysians from Johor Bahru travel every day uh, to Singapore to work, and some would actually live in Singapore. They lost their jobs overnight. They were cash-strapped. And they were stranded in Singapore. Malaysian government would not let them back in. And many of them were sole breadwinners of their families. And God spoke to Joe using an article he was reading titled, I Eat One Meal a Day. He felt God whisper to his heart, do something. I want you to reach out to their families back home in Johor Bahru. So Youth of the Mission rolled out a project called Love Migrant Breadwinners. The goal was to reach out to the families of these breadwinners by providing food, shelter, education, and medication for those who need it for three months. This would give the stranded Malaysians in Singapore time to look for another job in Singapore. In Malaysia and Singapore, they don't have generous schemes like we had, like the government offered. And during COVID, like job seeker, job keeper, and what have you. They offer some help, but not the kind of help that we were blessed with. Anyways, he wrote the project paper. And he estimated the cost of that project uh, would be around $100,000. He recalled, quote, when I wrote that amount, my hands were shaking because I didn't know where the money was going to come from. Again, the Lord provided as the word of that project got out through the generosity of God's people involving 35 people, $175,000 was raised by 35 Singaporean Christians. I would like them to be on my mailing list. Project Love Migrant Breadwinner helped 75 families with many turning to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Some families, whole families, were baptized. They're now part of a local church. 
This is the kingdom of God, characterized by compassion in action. And by the way, God did honor his promise to Job that, they've, that, that if he looked after the poor, God will look after you with a mission in Singapore. One of the big lessons he learned was this. Every crisis is an opportunity to ask, who can we show generosity and compassion to? In other words, we are to display God's compassion at all times. The way we do it may look different, but we don't stop being compassionate 24-7. But we need wisdom. Don't forget that part. We need wisdom. Lord, how are, how are we to show compassion? So the strategy they had, three months, very clear. It was not a never-ending thing. Three months, bang, we will help. And we will do this, 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 this. And there were a lot of, of course, uh, uh, you know, considerations to be made so that the project doesn't become chaotic and properly make, making sure it's properly administered. So let me repeat, here's what the rule of the kingdom of God looks like. Its citizens have a growing faith, dependence, and reliance on God to work in and through them. Number two, its citizens are known and commit, committed to integrity. And number three, its citizens, the citizens of God's kingdom, are compassionate at all times, for all peoples. So your application this week is this. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And ask which of these qualities of the rule of God's kingdom that he's highlighting to you. Perhaps he's wanting to encourage you. So it's not always a time of rebuke when we seek the Lord. So God may want to say to you, I am so proud of you. When it comes to integrity, you encapsulate it. I just want you to know, last week, when you said what you said to your co-worker, when you said what you said to your neighbor, when you made that decision, I was really proud of you. You were integrous. Or he might say to you, did you know that when you did that, it was a hypocritical thing for you to do that or say that? Might be that. He might encourage you and say, you encapsulate in compassion. I love that about it. It's growing in you. Or he might say, you lack compassion in that situation. You got more upset by someone breaking your stupid rule than showing compassion. I needed you to be compassionate in that situation. But you came across arrogant. You came across like a Pharisee. I want you to repent. Yeah, so you get the picture. So this week, bring these qualities before the Lord and say, God, speak to me. Is there a word of encouragement you want to bring? Or is there a word of rebuke and conviction you want to bring? Let's pray. Again, we go back to your words, Jesus. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, which, is expect, which you expect for us to receive and then respond. For you said many, many times, 
Do not be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. A man who hears my word and does something is like a man who builds his house on a rock. And when storms come, when the strong winds come, that house will stand. And so, Lord, I pray that as we have heard your word, would you bring to mind what we have heard. We thank God for technology. If we've forgotten, we can go to our Facebook page and listen to the sermon again or go to our website and listen to the recording of the sermon again. Thank you for that. But Lord, I pray that, that, that what we will not do is hear this word and then conveniently ignore it because we've gone on to other busy and more important stuff. There's nothing more important, Lord, than responding to your word, and I pray that you will help us remember to do this during the week. Thank you for your grace and mercy to us and your patience with us. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.